Amen. All right. Ready for this one, Bobby? Can you guess them? All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. He may have started out living a life of sin, but once this man got saved, he became one of the greatest examples of faith and prayer this world has ever known. And it all began when, listen to this, true story, he was studying for ministry, okay? Not because he wanted to serve God or help others, Mario. No, 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 no. He wasn't even saved. Did you know that happens in Bible colleges and seminaries around the country? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He wasn't even saved. He just figured it was an easy way to make a comfortable living. <clears throat> but that's right. Believe it or not, even with his bad motives, God still met him at a prayer meeting. And the next thing you know, this man did get saved. And it didn't take long to see the fruit of his genuine salvation either. Immediately, he began to preach and minister to those in need wherever the Lord would open the door. And this desire uh, helped him to help others, eventually led him to open up orphans' homes, okay? And one orphan home, his first one was for 26 girls, and he had zero financial assistance. But that was just the beginning. Soon he had five orphanages and was feeding 2,100 orphanages every single day, and he never, ever asked anyone for support. Why? Because he had learned early on as a Christian that God would simply supply his needs through the power of prayer. Present your requests to God, right? You see, God put it into his heart. When he put it into his heart to build these orphanages, this man only had 50 cents in his pocket. So he simply prayed and trusted God would supply the need, and boy, did he ever. Listen to this. In all the years of serving the orphanages, God always provided, and the children never, ever missed a meal. Over 2,000, okay? Even though he never asked another soul for money. For instance, one time the children, true story, were dressed and ready for school, but there was no food for them to eat, nothing. So this man simply took the 300 children into the dining room, had them sit in faith at the tables where he proceeded to thank God for the food they were about to receive and simply waited. Kid you not, minutes later, a baker knocked at the door and said, last night I couldn't sleep. Somehow I knew you would need some bread this morning. So I got up at 2 a.m. and begged tons of bread for you. I'll bring it in. And that was just the beginning. They not only thanked God for the bread, but the fresh hot baked bread. And that still wasn't all. Soon, that same time, that same instance, there was another knock at the door. This time it was the milkman. And it just so happened that a cart broke down in front of the orphanage and the milk was going to spoil by the time he got the cart fixed. So he came up to the orphanage and said, hey, do you need some free milk? And he not only brought in 10 large cans of milk, but it was exactly enough to feed 300 thirsty children. And if you know this man and his story, on and on and on and on it went. Day after day, this is how he lived. Month after month, year after year, no less than 10,000 orphans were faithfully cared for by this faithful prayer and dependence on God. In fact, when all was said and done, God poured out on this one Christian man in response to his faith and prayers to God. An estimated total of $7,500,000 all for the purposes of God. And this man's name, of course, was George Mueller. Wow. How many guys would like to live a life like that? And don't just focus on the seven and a half million. You're missing the point, okay? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Let's put a testimony, man, to be used of God like that. How many guys would say that George Mueller, that's a real Christian, that's our brother in Christ, we get to see in heaven one day. How many guys would say, now that, that's a life worth living for as a Christian, amen? Whew, that's what it's all about. But as we've been seeing, folks, in our study, we got a problem, and this is the strange problem in the American church. Even though God's the same God, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? We're just as much his children as George Mueller was, right? Okay, here's the problem. Most Christians, if we're honest with ourselves, hey, we read our Bibles in the, on one hand, we take a look at our life and our walk with Jesus in the other hand, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't jive. It doesn't compute. And we say, well, what's going on here? 
Why, why is it these people like George Mueller get to have this amazing, awesome, fruitful, amazing walk with Jesus Christ and, and God uses them and tons of souls are saved and bear much fruit in heaven and I look at my life and I'm just fumbling around in the dark. I, I don't have a life worth living for. I got a life worth giving up, okay? But folks, this is the good news. It doesn't have to be that way. In fact, turn to somebody and say that. It doesn't have to be that way, okay? This kind of life, believe it or not, God's the same God. We're his children too, Hello? Okay, this kind of life like George Mueller had is available to every single Christian, okay? And that's why we're going to continue in our study, A Life Worth Living For, okay? It's not just out there as some impossible goal. It's available to each one of us. Now, we saw because of the problem we're having, there's some different keys that I believe are absolutely pivotal if we're going to have that life worth living for, that amazing walk with Jesus Christ like George Mueller had. Now, the last three times you saw, if you were here, the first key to getting that life worth living for, so to speak, in Jesus Christ is is when you and I finally rediscover, I dare say, how to experience God's joy. And again, what's the premise? We're living in the last days. What's the conclusion? Run, freak out, hide to the hills. Ah! No, you need to stay on the front line. Somebody's got to tell this lost world about Jesus. Aren't you glad somebody told you? So since when did it become acceptable to go AWOL in a time of war? Excuse me? So we need to be on the front lines. But the problem is we mess it up with our countenance, right? We might get around to sharing the gospel, and we do something like this. It's very duplicit, right? We go, hey, come to Jesus. He's so awesome. <laughs> Life's horrible. Right? Or then we go to the other spectrum. It's not depression. It's all mad. Come to Jesus. He's great. You really... Oh, yeah, that's a great advertisement for Jesus. We might share the gospel like we're supposed to, but we mess it up with our countenance. We need to get back to experiencing God's joy, not just for us, but to be those positive billboards. Because listen, how many guys have ever had a problem, raise your hand, in life since you became a Christian? The rest of you, once again, you're lying. I'm glad you're here though, okay? I'm glad you're here, we can help you, okay? Well, guess what? Did you know that the non-Christian have problems too? So what's the difference? We have problems, they have problems. But when we got genuine joy, you talk about a moth to the flame. How do you do that? Where do you get that? What can I have that? And we get to tell them about Jesus. That's what we're missing today, I believe, in the church. Now, the problem is we saw that, okay, that's what the Bible says. You simply abide in Jesus Christ. Remember that text? And then he gives us not just joy, but exceeding joy, abundant joy, a joy coming filled over the top. It's awesome. It's right there for the taking if you abide in him. But that's the problem. The world, the enemy's out there, and I believe it's spiritual warfare, is doing all kinds of things to get us to not do that. And we saw last time that the world tries to trick you not. No, 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 no. Don't abide in Jesus. Don't seek and have that permanent joy in him. No, no, no. Apparently, that's too easy. You need to seek happiness, a temporary happiness in, instead of the Lord of all creation in personal exaltation. And what the world says to you and I says, listen, you, 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 once you can guarantee that you can have what? Perfect emotions and perfect control and perfect comments from people at all times, then you can be happy, right? What's the reality? What's the reality check in that? Excuse me? This is not heaven. Heaven comes later. You, it's a pipe dream. You're, as long as we live in this rotten, sinful, wicked world, not condoning it, but reality is you're never going to have perfect emotions or perfect comments or perfect control in your situations. Hello. So which means your so-called search for happiness is never going to happen. It's never going to happen. It's going to be an illusion as well. It's impossible. Okay. But again, God has got a better way. Okay. And that's what we're going to see again today. We not only need to expose the lies of how this world tricks us into not abiding in Jesus Christ, 
Okay, but now we're going to encourage ourselves, how do you abide in Jesus Christ and not just experience that joy, but as we're going to see in our opening text here in a second, how to experience that joy on a continual basis. That's what I'm interested in, right? Now, we need to do this, I believe, because what I've learned, I remember first getting saved, and I call it church world, right? And I wasn't raised in the church, and so you, you come into the church world, and you find out all this weird stuff that's going on, right? It's like, why do you guys do that? <laughs> What's that got to do with the relationship with Jesus? But one of the things that I, I've discovered in church world, right, is we're masters at saying all kinds of Christianese. Did you know that Christians speak our own language? It's called Christianese, and we say stuff that we have no idea what we're talking about right? Hey, Tom, I just want to let you know that I'm a sanctified, justified, deep fried, and all that stuff. Fire Christian. What's that mean? I don't know, but I am. Isn't that the game we play? We say all this Christian-y stuff. We don't even know what it means. And so I am convinced that this phrase, abide in Jesus Christ. Right? That sounds spiritual. That's a Christian-y. Yeah, I'm abiding in Jesus. How do you do it? I don't know. So that's what we're going to do. I want to break it down. How do you do that? Not just say, abide in Jesus, experience his joy, yay! But if you don't know how to do it, you'll never experience it. So let's break it down, shall we? How do you abide in Jesus Christ practically so we can have that joy on a permanent basis? And believe it or not, the first way that we do that is simply when we pray to Jesus Christ. But see, this is our problem. To abide in Jesus Christ, we simply pray with Jesus Christ. Why? Because when we pray, where's our mind? Who are we hanging out with? Who are we talking to? Who are we abiding with? Jesus Christ, right? But see, that's the problem. Instead of having a permanent prayer to Christ, abide in him, okay, we miss out on his joy. And believe it or not, believe it or not, yes, prayer is a wonderful source of God's joy, okay? But again, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. This is a fantastic promise here uh, from the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 4 is our opening text. Let's turn there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read verses uh, uh, 4 through 7. And as you turn there, let me, let me remind us of the context. You know, sometimes Philippians, the book of Philippians, people say it's the book of joy, and there's a lot of neat things going on here. And it certainly does talk a lot about that. Okay, but what's the context in which Paul is writing this? Is he in the Bahamas? Right? Is he watching John flex his muscles right now? Whoa, I'm encouraged. Right? No, okay. Right? Is he in Hawaii? Did he just inherit a billion dollars? Right? right? No, he's in prison. And again, as we said before, in prisons back in those days, it's not like prisons today. You might maybe be on some straw, maybe a dank, dark dungeon. Oftentimes with the Roman prisons, it was like a square hole in the ground and you got dropped down there. So this is the context in which Paul makes this amazing statement. Listen to what he says. How's he start out there? Uh, verse four, he says, rejoice in the, whoa, whoa, wait a second, Paul. How, do you, how can you do that? You're in the middle of a dank, dark dungeon. You got rats crawling on your feet, and then you, what? If the scripture says there's something we need to do, that means it can be done because God doesn't lie, and he doesn't hang, leave us hanging high and dry. So this is good news. You have divine permission from God to what? Rejoice in the Lord how long? Always. Did you know that's possible? I didn't say this. God did. Rejoice in the Lord always. In fact, I love this. I'll say it again. In other words, don't miss this. I'm not making this up. I believe it's true. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Why? Because then you let your gentleness be evident to all. You want to be that positive example, right? You don't want to go up to somebody, hey, Jesus, he's great. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And then he says this, the Lord is what? Near. Jesus Christ can come back at any moment. How do you want to spend, what's your last day here on earth going to look like? It's going to look like something. 
Do you want it being a gentle, joyful, rejoicing Christian leading souls to him or a bad example? The Lord's near. Don't forget that. And he says, well, don't be anxious. You know, again, you're going to have problems, right? It doesn't mean you become a Christian, you're not going to have problems. He says, but here's all you got to do. There's no excuse for you to not rejoice in the Lord always. Here's all you got to do. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, what do you do? Pray. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, just like George Mueller did. I'm not going to freak out because we ain't got no food. I'm just going to pray and rejoice. And God's going to take care of it and keep smiling. That's what he says. He says, just that's all you got to do. Okay, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the payoff. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in who? Christ Jesus. He'll get you to abide in Jesus Christ. You abide in Jesus Christ. Woohoo! Life is good. Okay? But this is what we see in the scripture. How many times do we read over this and don't realize? Listen, God is giving us divine permission to be a joyful Christian on a regular basis. What a concept. Can you believe that? I don't have time to get into the other anxious. Anxious is the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 6 when it says, don't worry, don't worry, don't be anxious. Same Greek word, merimonao, it means consumed with self. Ooh, that answers a lot, doesn't it? When you get consumed with yourself, you abide. It's all about self, your situation, your sins, Satan, this. Uh, <laughs> you worry and get anxious. But when you abide in Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be, con you get consumed with him, abide in him. You can rejoice. And if you got a need to come up to a hard time, you just kick it over to God in prayer with thanksgiving. Thank you, God. Thanks for taking care of that. I'm just going to keep moving on forward, right? That's what he says. So apparently prayer is one of those ways that we do that. It's right here tucked away in this text, okay? But here's the problem. Instead of maintaining a permanent prayer to Jesus Christ so that we can maintain a permanent joy in Jesus Christ, why just for us? No, so we can be that positive witness for Jesus Christ. We come up with excuses. Can you believe that? I know it's not here. Once again, it's got to be that weird church down south, way down south. I'm, we're talking South America south. You feel better? Right? We come up with excuses. I've heard all kinds of excuses why we don't pray as Christians. Okay, in the church over the years, right? I've heard, of, I don't know how to pray. Really, it's just talking, and you just talk to me. I think you're a master at it, right? But we get confused, right? Or, or uh, uh, I, I don't know how to pray correctly. What do you mean pray correctly? God just wants to hear from your heart, right? Or I've even heard people say this. I can't, I'm, I'm kidding you. I'm too scared to pray. What? Now, though, I must take a little detour here. If your parents prayed to you this way growing up, I could see why you're a little bit scared to pray. Let's take a look at that. The worst prayers, they got to be the prayers that parents pray with their kids. No wonder they don't want to go to bed at night. My parents used to pray this with me in the dark when I was a kid. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to give. If I should die, before I wake, I pray the Lord, my soul, Sweet dreams. <laughs> See you in the morning. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. 
50-50, I can't guarantee anything. <laughs> oh, and don't let the bed bugs bite. <laughs> I still say that with my daughter. I got it from my mom. Don't let the bed bugs bite. I hope we don't have bed bugs. That would be scary. Okay. But folks, in all seriousness, okay, yeah, okay, if your parents prayed you that way and you're kind of a little scared to pray, I, I can get that. But let's be honest this morning, okay? Hey, that's a neat concept. We're Christians, right? That's not why we don't pray, is it? Because I don't know how or, or I'm scared. That's not really what it is, okay? The popular excuse I hear all the time, now remember, prayer is the key to abiding in Christ to be full of his joy all the time. Why would you make excuses for that? See how twisted the enemy's got it? But this is the one that I hear all the time. And they say, hey, Pastor Billy, I don't have time to pray. Whoa, whoa, excuse me. You don't have time to pray. Okay, let's examine that because this is the first illusion here. You say, I don't have time for prayer, but you got plenty of time for personal care. Let's go to Medlin. I don't have time for prayer, but man, you got plenty of time for personal care. Hey, whether it's physical exercise. Whether it's the latest food diet, we don't bat an eye. Spending hours and hours and hours getting engrossed and spending all kinds of time doing whatever it takes to whip these bodies into shape. Right, honey? I'm dreaming. She's on the front row, right? But listen, this is how bad it's gotten. Listen to this. A Barner research shows 91% of adults consider good physical health as their top priority in life, making it the number one top priority in life. And I'm talking even Christians, okay? The number one top priority in your whole life, why you're here sucking air on earth is... I got to be in shape. Isn't that true? Okay, that's what's going on. And again, I'm not against exercise. Okay, personally, I think it's kind of annoying. That's why I stopped jogging. You know, made the ice cubes jump out of my iced tea glass. It was just, uh, I quit. And that, that uh, one guy, going to the gym? <laughs> going to the gym, yeah, right. I kid you not, I actually heard this one guy. He joined a health club. Listen to this. He actually spent 400 bucks. He spent 400 bucks, and he didn't even lose one pound. And he said, apparently, the gimmick is you got to show up. Right? And that's uh, a ripoff, okay? But I kid you not, it can also apparently be dangerous. Exercise? Let's be honest, folks. One guy said his grandmother, listen, his grandmother, leading the way, she started walking five miles a day back when she was 60. She's 89 now, and they don't even know where in the world she is. Right? Okay? But again, in all seriousness, folks, we have it drilled in our heads from our society. It's crept into the church. Oh, you gotta, you gotta exercise. You gotta eat right. You gotta, and I'm not against that. But let's be honest, when it comes to the top priority that should be in life, the spiritual, God's getting the short end of the stick. And you wonder why? Oh, Pastor Bill, I just don't experience God's joy. I just don't. Hey, do you pray? Why is it when you first got saved, man, you had so much joy you couldn't even contain it? What did you do when you first got saved? And nobody had to twist your arm. You prayed. You're abiding in Christ. It works that simple. But now, folks, this is the issue. We've become, even in the church, off balance. We've fallen for a lie. We're more consumed about physical care over spiritual care. It's not that we don't have the time. We've got plenty of time. We just spend our time on things that we think is going to give us that joy that only God uh, can have. In fact, the Bible says it can become unhealthy if you put physical over the spiritual. I didn't say that. Paul did in 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is pretty blunt. In this text, he says this, chapter 4, verse 7 through 8. He says, spend your time and energy and training yourself for what? Spiritual fitness, number one. Spiritual fitness is your top priority. Should be the 91% figure. Why? Because of course, yes, physical exercise, I'm not against it. It's got some value. Okay, okay, I'm not going to throw the baby out the bathwater, but spiritual exercise is what? 
much more important. Why? Because here's the payoff. For he promises a reward both in this life. Listen, you're abiding in Christ. So you're joyful. Anybody want to have the joy? So you get the benefit in this life, but then your positive advertisement for Jesus. So he uses you to lead souls to him, store up treasure in the next in heaven. And so that's what Paul says here. The Bible's not against physical exercise. Paul says, yeah, okay, it's got some value. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to get all crazy or legalistic or whatever. But clearly, spiritual exercise is much more important than just being physically fit. And yet, what do we do today? I ain't got time for prayer. You got time to go to the gym. You got time to do that diet thing. You got time to... I'm not against that. But it's not that we don't have time. We have time. We're off balance. In fact, boy, talk about convicting. Came across this stat. Here's what the average person does with their life if they were to live 75 years, okay? If you live 75 years on average across America, here's how we're going to spend it. Uh, The activity, percentage of time, 23 years of sleeping. 31% of your life, you just, right? Uh, It's hard for me to understand now as an adult. I don't know. I guess maybe 29% of that happened when you were a teenager, (laughs) don't be getting much, but I don't know. But 30, one third of your life is just snoozing, man. Can you believe that? On average, if you live 75, 19 years of your life, 25%, one quarter for those of you hooked on fractions of your life is spent working. Okay, that's what you're going to do here on earth. Nine years is just blown on watching TV or other amusements. Oh, by the way, this stat came out before cell phones that we're all hooked on today and tablets and all the other stuff, so it may be even more. 12% of your life just amusing yourself. Uh, Seven and a half years spent in dressing and personal care, 10%, okay? Six uh, years eating, 8% of your life is just chowing down, right? Yeah, we'll just move on. Uh, Six years traveling, okay? Just traveling, driving around, going to and fro, point A, B. 8% of your life is just traveling. Get this, I kid you not, if you live 75 years, even a Christian, folks, on average, God gets one half of one of those years. 0.07%. Hey, maybe the reason why we only experience God's joy 0.07% of the time is because maybe that's all the time we give him. But that's the illusion, isn't it? Oh, I don't have time. Yeah, we have time. We just don't spend it on the same thing, on what's most important. And think of the irony here. This is kind of ironic. I mean, we all know that if we don't eat right, if we don't have proper exercise, and we're going to run into some serious health problems. Ah, right? Like we get that drilled in our heads every day. Well, when we don't abide in Christ and we don't pray to him every day, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to run into some spiritual health problems. Why, Pastor Billy? Why? Why did I not experience the joy? Why? Why? Because you're not abiding in Christ. It's there for the taking. Just pray. Remember when you first got saved? You didn't have to come hear a sermon on it couldn't wait to talk to Jesus. You talk to Jesus in your house. You talk to him when you're getting ready for the day. You talk to him when you're going to your car. You talk to him in your car. Talk to him when you're... You talk to him all the time. And you ask, so remember, it's not that hard to discover. We have to rediscover, get back to what we used to do in the beginning. And one of those things is just simply pray, okay? Spend time with Jesus Christ, okay? And again, do you think it's by chance that every time you finally get around to getting ready to play, to pray? I mean, have you ever experienced this? Okay, you're wide awake, right? You're wide awake, you're alert. I'm gonna go pray. I'm gonna do, I'm really convicted now after this sermon from Pastor Billy. I'm gonna pray every single day. Yeah. You get there and all of a sudden you start, dear Lord. It's like, where did that come from? I was alert just two seconds ago. 
Do you think it's by chance all of a sudden you get sleepy? Do you think it's by chance every time you finally get around to praying, all of a sudden you got all these thoughts popping into your head? Hey, I haven't cleaned that refrigerator in 19 years. I better do it now. <laughs> right? Hey, look, check this. Oh, hey, what's that noise? Is it kids? What, the neighbors? The dog? Ah. Do you really think that's by chance? Folks, it's spiritual warfare. I'm not saying they're blaming a demon for everything. But it's spiritual warfare. The devil, listen, knows if he can steal away your time from God, listen, he can steal away your prayer to God. And if he can steal away your prayer to God, then guess what? You're not abiding in Christ, which means he got you of your own doing to miss out on that joy from God. That's the illusion. If you can't sleep, don't count sheep. Talk to the shepherd. There is never a day, Christian, when we don't need to pray because if we want to maintain that joy in the Lord, to maintain being a positive witness for the Lord, we simply need to pray. And if we're too busy to pray, we're too stinking busy. And somebody is strangling us to death as a Christian. Okay? Get back to doing what we did. That's just one way to abide in Jesus Christ. There's a multitude of ways the scripture says. The second way is you need to have that study with Christ. Remember that? Remember those days? You got saved. It's like, man, give me a Bible. I'm in here. Right? And then you, you call people up, hey man, I read 9,000 verses today. Woo! And you really meant it, and you got something out of it, and you were devouring it and chewing it up. You couldn't wait to tell somebody about the Word of God. But then after a while, you get saved, and it changes. And we act like somehow studying the Bible. I mean, how did that get into us? It wasn't there when we first got saved. But somehow studying the Bible is boring. Right? It's not what the Bible says if you would read it. Let's just take a look at this text. Clearly, folks, it's a great source of joy. Yes, believe it or not, Bible study. Psalm 19, verse 7 through 8. The law of the Lord is what? <clears throat> perfect. In other words, there's not one command in there that's bad for you. The law of the Lord is perfect. What's it do to the soul? It bores it to death. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong Hebrew. Uh, revives the soul, right? It revives the soul, right? The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Lots of wisdom can be gained from the Bible. How many guys hate making the same goofball mistakes repeatedly over and over again? Read the Word. Read the Bible. It'll give you wisdom. You don't have to keep doing that, making, taking laughs, okay? But not only that, the commandments of the Lord are right. And what's it do? It brings joy to the heart. What? Read, yeah, like when you first got saved, before somehow somebody convinced you with a lie. Oh, no, that's, that's just boring. What? We're getting tricked. The Bible says if you want to revive your soul, if you want to receive God's wisdom, and if you want to bring joy to your heart, believe it or not, what do you do? You not only pray and abide with Jesus Christ, you read the word of God, which is about Jesus Christ. Why? Because what are you doing when you read the Bible? You're hanging out with who? You're learning from who? He's speaking to you from his word. You're learning from him, right? What do you, it's called abide in Christ. So prayer and Bible study is how you do it. But again, instead of receiving that permanent, uh, permanent prayer in, in, in Jesus Christ, and now the permanent Bible study in Jesus Christ, to maintain that joy in Jesus Christ, okay, this is what we do. We come up with excuses. And I've heard this same excuse. It's the old, I, don't, I, I, I can't understand the Bible. What? That didn't stop you when you first got saved. I, I just, Pastor Billy's not around to explain it to me. What if I read something I didn't understand? What? I, I would like to have a preacher's dream that this is not the only time that you ingest spiritual food, Christian. That it's on a daily basis in his word. And of course, any time you start something new or read something new, you're not an expert at the beginning, but if you stop, you'll never learn. 
you just keep learning. And the Spirit of God illuminates that. But it's just like with prayer, folks. I mean, we can say, I don't know how, or I don't know if it's too difficult, or those are all lies too. But the biggest one, again, it's just like with the prayer. We say, I don't have time. Let's go to Medlin part two. Because here's really what I've learned is going on. You say, hey, I don't have time for Bible study, but I got plenty of time to play with my buddies. Anybody besides me knows how this rhymes every time, Bobby? This is awesome. I like it. Okay, yeah. And let's be honest, folks. We don't have time for Bible study? Oh, we got plenty of time. If you get rid of some other nonsensical things, whether it's physical sports or fantasy novels, we don't bat an eye spending hours totally engaged in them, right? I mean, we'll block out our calendar all the, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, let's go. We're totally freaking out just, just talking about them. We get all excited, right? Okay, and again, I'm not against sports. I'm not against them per se, unless, of course, they supersede God and become an idol. I'm not against reading novels if they're clean. And did you know you have to say that today, even with Christian novels? Okay, I, I'm not against relaxing, right? I'm not against that, okay? But the problem is in comparison to the time we spend studying the Bible, we are way off balance. In fact, it's starting to affect our, our, our knowledge of God and the things of God, not just adults, but kids. I wish I was making this up. Again, this must be from South America, way down there, probably close to Antarctica. That helps you out. Okay, this is some actual so-called biblical knowledge from kids in Sunday school. This is what they're coming out of Sunday school thinking about the Bible. I'm not making this up, and these are true, not just a joke. Listen, one kid said this, Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day, but a ball of fire by night. Right? <laughs> what? Are you serious? Another kid said this, the fifth commandment is to humor thy mother and father. They, they, they do do that, but it's supposed to be honor uh, your mother and father. And one kid said this, Moses died before he ever reached the UK. And then Joshua led the Hebrews in the battle of Jericho. You know, they're getting older, the second generation. No, uh, let's move on. Uh, uh, one guy said this, the greatest miracle in the Bible is when Joshua told his son to stand still and he obeyed him. It's S-U-N, the orb in the sky. But if my son stands still, where's he at? That would be a miracle. <laughs> one kid said this, David was a Hebrew king and he fought with the Finkelsteins, right? I mean, those East Coast guys, man, over there, that I've been over there. I used to live there. And those Finkelsteins are... Yeah, it's called Philistines, excuse me. One kid, Solomon was one of David's sons. He had 300 wives and 700 porcupines, right? That's what's going on. He was a nature lover, apparently. I don't know that's what's going on. But he actually thinks that. Can you believe that? And one guy said this, when the three wise guys from the east side arrived, uh, they found Jesus in the manager. And Jesus was born because Mary had an immaculate contraption. That's just all messed up. Okay, a couple more here. It's really bad, folks. Jesus, one kid said, enunciated the golden rule, which says, do one to others before they do one to you. That's called the mafia rule, and that's not in the Bible. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> and one kid said this, one of the opossums was St. Matthew, who by profession was a taxi man. But I'm not making this up. This is how bad it's gotten, folks. The kids growing up in the church today, you tell me if our biblical knowledge messed up. I'm not making this up. One kid actually said this. He said, a Christian should have only one wife. This is called monotony. No, it's monogamy. Yeah, I'll just move on. <laughs> folks, let's be honest. Okay, Yeah, they're kind of funny. Yeah, kids, can you believe that that's what they think about the Bible? But then again... It's kind of not, because those kids grow up to be adults, and then they take positions in the church, and that's kind of creepy. 
In fact, I've heard a lot of adults say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've been saved, I've been sanctified, deep fried, justified, all that stuff for 427 years. And I know that Bible from cover to cover, really. What I've learned is you say that, but you don't live that. A mark of true maturity as a Christian is not how much of the Bible you can quote. It's how much you resemble Jesus Christ. And you can resemble Jesus Christ when you renew your mind with his word. Right? Not just saying. Because what I've learned is a lot of people, a lot of adults, Christians say, hey, I know that Bible from cover to cover. But frankly, all you know is the cover. Listen to this. J.H. Smith, he said, if all the Christians were to dust their Bibles at the same time, we would have the greatest dust storm in history. Even more convicting, one guy said, if all the Christians would take a look at their Bibles, there's so much dust on them that with their finger they could write the word damnation. Wow. What happened? Remember when we first got saved? We had so much joy, it was oozing out of it, right? We prayed to God wherever we went. We couldn't wait to get into the Word of God. We were telling people about the Word of God. We just couldn't wait to steal away some time with the Word. But here's the point, folks. What happened to us? Is it really that big of a mystery? Why don't I experience the joy of God? Why? Where did it go? How come it was so joyful when it first got saved? Because you're not abiding in Christ. Let's be honest. When was the last time? Listen, when was the last time that you got hog wild and crazy just thinking about the Bible? Woo! Yeah! Sunday morning! Sunday, Sunday, Sunday! Yeah! Wow! You got all your friends. You guys go into the big game. Woo! Please don't wear those rainbow wigs for services. You paint your face on me. Why? Yeah! Yeah! Wednesday night! Woo! Bobby, Bobby, I can't believe it. Dude, I just got the after Saturday afternoons wide open. Come on over. We're going to study the Bible. Woo! Yeah! When, when do we ever do that? We did when we first got saved. And you wonder why we don't experience the joy. It's not that we don't have time. We don't take the time. We've been seduced spiritually by an enemy who doesn't want us to be a positive advertisement for Jesus. We can faithfully spend hours researching the stats about our favorite sports figure, passionately share with other people a best-selling novel storyline but God's word continues to gather dust. And what does the world say? We know this. If you don't take time to relax once in a while, you're going to burn out, right? You're going to run into some serious mental issues. Well, if we don't take the time to renew our mind with the word of God, you don't think we're going to run into some serious spiritual issues? Somebody's trying to choke us to death spiritually, okay? The enemy cannot take away our salvation. How many of you guys are glad about that? That was plan A. He lost. He's a loser. Okay? He just simply moves to plan B. And plan B is what he's going to do every single day until you get to heaven by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. He's going to do anything and everything he can do to keep you from abiding in Jesus Christ. And you know what his plan is? It's simply live the American dream to where you're so stinking busy you ain't got time for God. One guy puts it this way. He says, when the family's not being distracted by financial demands or trying to keep up with the Joneses or trying to figure out what went wrong with their marriage or their family, their kids, there's this ever-pervasive distraction of busyness. 
Today, Americans are so busy, they hardly have time to be families. Children are involved in little league, soccer, band, clubs, extracurricular activities at school, so many other all-absorbing activities, there simply isn't time for family. But just in case there's a little time left on the weekends, there's televised sports, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, countless other distractions, and what time is left for family, marriage, and God? Just gets eaten up. There went that week. There went another week. There went another week. And there went another week. Another month. Another year. Now we're in the second year. Next year. I, I, I made it to my 75th birthday. I love Jesus. How, how did it only end up with 0.07%? You had the time but you got tricked and seduced into wasting it on things that are not as important as God. It's spiritual warfare. I'm fully convinced. The devil knows, folks, if he can steal away your time with God, he can steal away your time with the Word of God. And if he can steal away your time in the Word of God, he can steal away you abiding in him and experiencing his joy. It's that simple, okay? In fact, talk about convicting. Once again, it's time for this video. This is unfortunately what really goes on. Let's take a look. Almost as an afterthought. Oh, wait. I got to put on the show because I'm deep fried, supersized, sanctified, justified. Time for church services. Got to look the part. And then when we get to church services, you don't have the joy of God, but you fake it. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. You really think every time you get ready to study the Bible, something else you think needs to happen first? Oh, I'll just go hang with my buds for a little while. Or, or no, I got, I got to do this or whatever. Or no, no, somebody's coming over or whatever. Or you know what? I, I, got, I got to go ride my bike. I got to go to the gym. I got to. And then the next week comes around and you didn't do it. And it sits there and sits there and sits there. That's how it happened. That's not by chance. Every time you get to studying the Bible, thoughts go to your head how boring this is going to be or you'll never understand it or you got to go do something else. That's not by chance. 
The devil wants you to turn into one of these Christians who fake it, right? Watch this one. Can you imagine being this excited for God? This is cool. I like this one. Every day when my alarm goes off, I immediately do my quiet time. The only thing that gets me going is prayer. And cranking up my Christian CD. There's this killer. Youth worship. And we go every Wednesday and praise Jesus. I can't wait to tell my girlfriends about this new guy I met. Jesus. <laughs> he is so awesome. Friday night we had this Bible study with the team across town. We got deep in the word. We could do it again. Next Friday. Can you imagine being that excited about God? Can you imagine if you didn't come with all the dubbing? But isn't that the irony? What was our opening text today? It's impossible to rejoice in God on a regular basis. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation. What did it say? You can rejoice in the Lord always. You can be that excited about God and it not be fake. Why was it fake for those people? What were they doing? The first thing I get out of bed, I should have my quiet time, right? The only thing that gets me going, heading to work or school or whatever, is when I turn up my supposed to be Christmas CD, is it? Right? Me and the guys are so thrilled and thrilled. It's just I got them. Yeah, we're going to go what? Study the Bible together. We're going to get deep in the word. And guess what? You do that, you're abiding in Christ. Remember that? It's not that hard. Let's abide in Jesus Christ. Let's not be those fake Christians. We don't have to put on an act. We really can come here with a genuine joy, right? And more importantly, it's not about us. That's when we unlock the key to having that life worth living for. That's when we, not just here, but wherever we go, we're a positive advertisement for Jesus. And that's when we, all of a sudden, we have a life like George Mueller, that God begins to do amazing things because he blesses it because you are being what he wants us to be. A great commercial for him. Let's be those people. Let's be that church here for Las Vegas. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? 
Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. 
Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.